Chapter 2, verse 41. Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. But when the feast was over, as they were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but because they assumed that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey, and then they began to look for him among their relatives and acquaintances. The law required the Jews to make a trip to the tabernacle slash temple for three different festivals out of the seven. Okay, they were required to go there for Passover, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles. But because the journey became so long for so many people, and a 90-mile journey is a pretty treacherous journey, um, not only in a rugged kind of a sense, but in a food and supplies, resources kind of a sense, especially if you're poor, and also in a robbers waiting around the corner to take you and rob you kind of a sense, that many Jews kind of just would not do it until Passover. And many Jews only made the trip at Passover. And so it's, it's like the church on Easter and Christmas Day, so to speak, where everybody would just all of a sudden be showing up to the temple. And the city would influx. Now, because this is a very dangerous journey that nobody would really, no family would really truly take it by themselves because there's always somebody waiting to Shanghai you. And in a 90-mile journey on foot, and you can do about 25 miles a day, so we're talking about at least four to five days of walking, that's the greater percentage and chance of somebody like Shanghaiing you. What would happen is because this is an, a national thing that was happening, the entire village that you're a part of would make the journey. And obviously Nazareth is really far north up. And so as they begin to make the journey down to Jerusalem, this, the people of this town would join them. The people of this town would join them. The people, and then the group would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the other thing that was happening, it, wasn't, it was very common for the men to walk together and the women to walk together. And that was kind of a custom kind of a thing. But even then, like, think about it. If you're in a large group of people, it's not uncommon for, like, a large group of church people to kind of start walking. And you'll notice that the women will kind of gravitate to each other and the men will gravitate. And, like, even in my class, like, sometimes I'll notice, like, all the girls have sat on this side of the room and all the boys have sat on this side of the room or, or in some kind of, like, diagonal thing or whatever. And then it's really weird when you've got that one boy who's just, like, over there with all the girls. Um, not in a weird, but just in a sore thumb kind of a sense. We tend to do that. We tend to gravitate towards commonness. And so they traveled. And so they went down there. It was a large group of people and the children. And Jesus is around 12 years old. And at 12 years old, this is when you're becoming a man. And normally the children would stay with the mothers and be raised by them and educated by them. And they would live with them and do things with them. And the boys would too. And then when they started hitting into that manhood, they would then they would have they would go and be with the men, and then the men now had time for them. So in a cultural kind of a sense, and at that twelve-year-old, eleven, twelve years old, the boy kind of was at the age where the parents would typically allow him to make his choice. Like, do you still feel comfortable with the women and want to be there, or are you ready to branch out on your own and start being with dad and the men and that kind of stuff? And so Jesus is right there in that limbo stage where there's a lot of people and it's not uncommon for a village raises a child and it's not uncommon for like a relatives to be participating. And Mary probably just thought, 
Jesus is exceptionally wise and mature for his age. He's around 12 years old. He's chosen to be with the men on the journey down. And Joseph's probably thinking he's still a little boy. He's been hanging out with mom. He's probably with mom. Big misunderstanding of where they thought he belonged. And they, they finally realize, probably when they're at the, de- at the end of the day, when they're like setting up their tents and stuff, and that point all the, the family would come together and get in the same tent, and they're like, where's Jesus? I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. Okay? And then they freak out. And that's a horrific feeling for a parent. And they're a day's journey away. Like, can you imagine? I doubt they spent the night. I think they walked through the night. I mean, you know. And so they get there. So after three days, and then they go in this city and they're looking for him. Now, remember, Jerusalem's huge. And there's lots of people there. And I don't know. Maybe they checked the toy store first. But either way, they're not thinking, oh, he's in the temple. Finally... After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Jesus were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when his parents saw him, they were overwhelmed. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. But he replied, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Yet his parents did not understand the remark he made to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and the favor of God was with the people. They find him in the temple, and he is wowing the teachers of the law, the experts. And he's asking them questions, and they're answering. And he's probably then saying, well, then what about this? It's don't get the idea that he's standing there and teaching all these people. Like, let me tell you what I know. Okay? More of the idea is he knows the law. He is the word. And he's probably calling them out on some things. Like, hey, what about this in the law? What about this? And they're like, well, da 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 And he's like, yeah, but, da 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 And they're like, oh, da 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 And he's like, yeah, but. And he's bringing a much more comprehensive, deeper, much more authentic answer to things. And so it's probably more of a dialogue, maybe even a little bit of a debate. And they're wowed by him, absolutely wowed by him. I always wonder, like, was there a teacher there who, like, later, years later, because this boy would disappear, and they'd be like, where did that prodigy child go? Where did Doogie Hauser end up, Right. Like, shouldn't he be, like, saving the world by now his age? And then all of a sudden, one day, this guy pops up. And he's, like, talking with, like, great authority. And maybe even talking on some of the same subjects that, like, this 12-year-old boy a long time ago, I remember. I wonder if anybody was like, oh, my gosh, it's him. He's back after 15 years. I don't know. That would just be interesting. I'll write into the Chosen, told him, and get that in there. They're wowed by this because he's showing his wisdom. But at the same time, it says at the very end, once again, he grew in wisdom. But it's not he's growing the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the law, but it's probably more the wisdom of the way we, you, in, you interact with the world, the wisdom of actually experiencing the world. Now, of course, Mary is like, 
Why did you do this to us? <laughs> the exasperated parents. And I've always found this one odd. I really struggle with this one. Not in like I, I can't accept this God, but struggle like I don't understand. Like if Jesus is truly obedient and truly compassionate, like wouldn't he at least told mom and dad like, hey, I'm in the temple. Like we get upset when like we tell the daughter, do not go anywhere that you cannot see us. And if and you're not allowed to leave this room if we're not in it, and if you're going to go somewhere, you need to tell us. And when they don't, you're like, what the heck? And Jesus is like, but you should have known. If my daughter said that to me, I'd be like, no, 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 no. Okay? And I've just always found that. So I don't have an answer to this. Maybe somebody can give me insight on her or whatever, but I don't want an answer for why, like, the perfect son of God who would be obedient perfectly, like, yes, I get why he's there. I get all this stuff, but why didn't he just say, hey, like, hey, mom, dad, be in the temple. Text you. Like, I don't know. Like, it just seems like odd to me. And maybe he did, and they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Um, I don't know. But I've always just like, that's the one thing that I just don't get in this whole perfect child kind of a thing. He's there. Now notice that they're like, they don't get it, like your father's house. Yes, Mary and Joseph know that there's a uniqueness to his birth. They know that he is a Messiah. But remember for them, they're not thinking this is God. This is a perfect person. This is the Trinity. They're thinking this is a human Messiah that has been born to us who has a unique birth, okay? Who has a very miraculous, unique birth. And he's going to be very unique and very miraculous. But they're not thinking like, oh, God is literally his biological or same essence kind of a father. So Joseph's probably thinking like, what do you mean? This is not my house. I mean, it says they're absolutely confused. They don't get what he means. The other thing too is, He's using the phrase father. The Jews do not call God father. Father is an intimate, relational, knowing term. And for the Jews, God is God. He is transcendent and separate and outside the ways of men. And like we mentioned already, they have overly emphasized the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the bowing down and submitting to him. When he says, jump, you ask how high. We have overemphasized that Jesus is my friend and we're buddy buddies and we've, we don't have that. And so they are, they don't, they've lost this idea of that he is Abba Father, that I can, I can just, I, he's my friend. If I obey him, that I can be close to him and intimately involved with him. We've lost the idea of bowing down in absolute reverence and throwing ourselves completely flat out on our belly and chest and awe and submission to him. And I'm not saying that nobody does both of those well. I'm just saying as a culture to call God father, that's blasphemous or, or not blasphemous, sacrilegious. That's sacrilegious. That's, that's, that's assuming a, an intimacy and a closeness that you have no right to assume. That's bringing the God of the sovereign universe down to your level, which you have no right to do. And so it would never occur to them that he was speaking of God. Because 
Remember, he's going to use this phrase father a lot, and the Pharisees are going to be like, what? And he's only a 12-year-old boy saying this. So they haven't heard him say it over and over and over again like the Pharisees are, who will begin to realize what he really means. And so there's multiple levels of confusion going on here, what they don't know what he means. But they also realize, probably by now 12 years old, and probably watching like the priests are wowed by him, the teachers of the law are wowed by him, they're probably like, no, no, we want to talk to him more. And you're like, what priest wants to talk to a 12-year-old boy? Adults don't have place with children. And they're probably watching all this, and then they, they realize they're completely confused at what he says. But they've also learned at 12 years old, he probably has a great deep wisdom to him and is speaking on levels that they don't always, always understand. And so they ponder it. They, 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 they probably spend a lot of hours in the days to come like thinking, about, what did he mean by that? Like a puzzle that you just cannot solve, and, but you can't get it out of your mind. This is continuing to the fact of, we don't know what to do with you. There, there, there is no category to plug you into. There is no box or file to file you into. And, and what you say seems disrespectful and nonsensical, but at the same time, like you're the Messiah. And what you also say is incredibly wise and deep. And, but you, you, you talk in a way that is borderline sacrilege, but at the same time, you're God's Messiah. And God would never use a sacrilegious person for this. And you, you just have to understand that a lot of people, like for us, it's like, duh, he's Jesus. But for them, they're like, I don't know where to put you in my mental files. I don't know where to put you in our cultural categories. I don't know what to do with your comments. I know there's something deep here and of God, but it sounds really confusing to me. And at the same time, you're a 12-year-old boy. Go home. Told you what to do. And you have to understand they're probably just, there's a lot of conflicting emotions going on here. A lot of conflicting ideas happening here. Do we have any kind of hints of, like, would it have been discussion? Like, oh, yeah, your birth wasn't normal. (laughs) You know, common amongst, like... I wouldn't be surprised if that's all been shared with them. And I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't share him. He was like, hey, you've never told me about how I can't. I know how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. We do know that even though he has all the knowledge of God, the Bible makes it very clear that he's chosen not to access it all the time. Uh, Philippians says that he, even though he was God, he chose not to exploit it. And, obvi- and then even though he is God, he says, obviously he knows when he's going to come back again because he is God. But why he's on earth and in the flesh, he's chosen not to know that. So that he can say the Son of Man doesn't know the time or the hour that he's coming back again. So in some sense, he has willingly limited himself and his power and knowledge for the sake of understanding what it's like to be a human. Why he's on earth. How much he's limited himself. What he has access to do. When does he choose to access it not access it? I don't know. At what point did he fully understand this and this and then as his age? Like, I mean, was he a little infant child in the manger understanding I am God? Um, probably yes to a certain extent, but I, I don't know. Because all we have is what is here. Now, this has led to many writings like the Gospel of Thomas because we humans like filling in all the blanks whether they're accurate or not. But those are just assumptions. So I do not know. 
I think the fact that only this is here is to communicate to you that, relatively speaking, his childhood was pretty normal. If he's too amazing and too out there and too godlike, then he's not going to have a same normal childhood like we would have. And he's not going to be able to relate to us. And he's not going to be able to understand it. The point is that he is to have a childhood that the vast majority of people on the earth are going to have. So they can truly say, I know what it's like to be human, and I can give you compassion because I've been there and I've done that. I would really think that the whole point of this story is that everything else about his life is not really that spectacular. But we've put this story in here to let you know that Godhood was not wisdom and God was not something that he just clicked into as an adulthood. That there's been some kind of an understanding of who he is and what he's capable of his entire life. But it's largely just been within him. And it's largely been an uneventful because he's just a normal human who has to learn what it's like to be human like us. And the more spectacular he is, the less normal he is, and the less relatable he becomes. That would be my thoughts on that topic. In the Greco-Roman world, it is not uncommon for the Greek-Roman people, when they tell their stories about Caesar Augustus or Mark Antony, to portray them as prodigy children where they, they were somehow more intelligent and more skilled than everybody else. But what's interesting is when you read these stories, it's obvious that they're making them up. I mean, it's like wondrous physical feats and that kind of stuff. But Luke follows the same thing, because remember, his audience are the Greeks. And I think one of the other reasons that Luke includes a reference to his childhood and his unique wisdom is because, remember, the Greeks value wisdom and knowledge and intelligence far greater than anything else. The only thing they would even come secondary to that is physical ability, physical um, um, training, and the ability to manipulate your body in the way that you want to, like your mind. And so for Luke, he's portraying Jesus as the wisest, greatest, most perfect human. And if your audience is a Greco-Roman world, then you're going to write in the way that they are used to reading things. He's going to, portray, he's going to include this story because he wants to show them that, look, he was a prodigy child too. But a prodigy child that is more rooted in reality than all your stories, but at the same time is still blowing everybody else away in a way that your people didn't. And I think that's what is being included here. Whereas John grew in spirit, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor. Now I think that's an important emphasis too. Jesus doesn't have to grow in the spirit. He is the spirit of God, so to speak. I mean, he's not the Holy Spirit, but he is connected to the Spirit of God. He is united with him. He doesn't have to grow in his godhood. He doesn't have to grow in his understanding of the universe. He doesn't have to grow in his spiritual connection to God. He doesn't have to grow in his spiritual understanding of who God is. He doesn't have to grow in his intimacy with God. John grows in the Spirit. He grows in his understanding of God. He grows in his connection to God. He grows in his understanding of what God wants him to do. Jesus doesn't. He knows who God is. He understands what God has for him. And he knows what he's going to be about. That's not what he grows in. He grows in the physical part and in the earthly wisdom of things. The reference to wisdom has to do with growth and insight, while favor has to do with moral growth and favorable 
perception. So Jesus is also not growing in favor with God. John is growing in favor because favor involves God being pleased with you because of your righteousness and your moral conduct. John is going to become more righteous and more godly as he gets older because he is a sinful child who has to discipline himself with spiritual disciplines in order to be righteous and obedient to God and to hear the Spirit. Jesus is not immoral. He's not a sinner. He doesn't have to learn righteousness. And he's already perfect and already God and already connected to God. Therefore, he doesn't have to grow in favor. Everything he does is always pleasing to God. And so there's a very drastic difference between a normal child who grows in favor and grows in spiritual maturity and moral behavior and righteous conduct versus Jesus who's just growing physically and growing in in a very personal understanding of what it means to be human. But he's not growing in righteousness or moral behavior or self-control or an understanding of who God is or what God wants him to do for his life. And this is a very important distinction to make between John's childhood and Jesus' childhood. Once again, Jesus is superior to John. And even though Jesus will say John is the greatest of all the prophets, Jesus is light years beyond being superior to John. And this shows even more if John is absolutely unique to all the prophets and Jesus is blowing him away, then Jesus is absolutely unique and unlike anything in all of creation. And this is clearly established from the announcement of his birth to his actual birth and his actual childhood. And so when the story picks back up, he's a 30-year-old man, 30, 33 years old, somewhere around there, And he's going to then put into action everything that he knows and understands from the very beginning of all creation or his existence or whatever, however you want to phrase it. I don't know what word to use of an eternal God. And so he's going to start putting that all into action. What has already been established, this is who he is. But now he's going to connect, well, he's going to begin to interact with the other humans who don't get all of this. And that's where the conflict is going to come. Right now, it's great. My child, this is awesome. Angels, redemption, salvation, kingship. But then once that thing begins to interact with all the expectations of everyone in the world and all their flaws and all their... Then the conflict begins to happen. 